Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two. And we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli, watch one episode of Buffy Week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Buffy Virgin, uh, the podcast where we're watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in a spoiler-free format, so we don't spoil the Buffy Virgin. Hi, I'm the Buffy Virgin, so I'm watching Buffy one episode at a time. I'm just not familiar with what's going to happen next to make predictions about what's going to happen. And I've seen only up to season four, episode eight and a bit of season one of angel. Oh yeah, that's right. The episode we're watching today is Pangs season four, episode eight. I'm uh, your host, Dennis St. John. I was just at Comic-Con, which is crazy. Um, why don't we introduce the doctor? Hi, I'm Travis. I'm not a creative person, so I don't know what I'm doing on this podcast. Um, I'm kind of like, you know, uh, just, just extra, just extra filling. I'm like the watercress, you know, in a what in a salad, but, uh, that's not hungry, a little, a little hungry, but that's okay. Travis, you're one of the most creative people I know. It's just that life is your medium. <laughs> and that yeah. voice you just heard was John. John, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm John. I'm one of the dudes on the show of uh, a lot of dudes. <laughs> if you're ever watching Buffy and you're like, but what does the man have to say about this? Uh, anyway, so let's jump into reactions. Audience reactions. Uh, so we haven't had a lot of reactions this week because two episodes that have been recorded haven't aired yet. On Twitter, Primeval Podcast started following us and they say, um, so they review the show Primeval, which I think is about time traveling to dinosaur times. Uh, they say, um, I love the podcast. Also, if you want to check out some of the comic books, then there's some available to read in full on the BBC Buffy site, uh, which I didn't know about. So that's cool. So thank you. Um, and uh, when I was at Comic-Con, I was trying to take photos of every Buffy thing I saw, which wasn't like too much, but there was a Buffy um, scavenger hunt going on, but I couldn't sign up for it because I was working. But anyway, I posted a photo of me with Buffy and uh, Rich at Dingo Action asked if she is a fan of the podcast. Um, and she was stabbing me in the podcast in the photo, so I guess not. Um, and I also ah, right in the podcast. <laughs> well, the po this podcast is my heart, so yes, right in the podcast. Um, I also posted photos on Twitter of my new Buffy poster, which I just got. Um, and Ian Richardson, who's a fan of the cast and tweets at us often, um, said he had a poster hanging over. I have I had this poster hanging over my bed when I was 12 and I'm not even sorry. And it's um, from the Buffy movie. So thanks Ian. All Question right. about that poster, Dennis. Uh -huh. Is that the first time you've owned that poster? No, actually I owned this poster in high school and it hung in my closet door. Uh, but I got rid of it at some point. Um, and this is a recent eBay purchase. Uh, Sweet. So yeah, thanks for asking that question. All right, um, why don't we move on to the summary? The summary. It's Pangs. Buffy, season four, episode eight. Or as I like to think of it, Angel, season one, episode seven and a half. Late at night, 
Angel sits behind a bush and watches as Buffy goes toe-to-toe with what appears to be an innocent old Navy model, but of course is actually a blood-sucking vampire. Buffy fights, Angel watches. When he's done lurking around in the bushes, Angel's next stop is to call upon one of his previous torture victims. You see, some friend of his back in LA has been having visions about Buffy and he's worried. It may just be that his buddy's vision is connected to the recent uptick in both museum murders as well as the high syphilis rates among Sunnydale's construction workers. It's the kind of worry that can only be solved through aggressive lurking, so lurk he must. Giles agrees to this lurking plan, but a bit reluctantly. I mean, hey, Buffy is a big girl. Maybe Angel should leave the Slayer watching to the professionals. Taking his leave of Giles' pad, Angel beelines to the espresso pump, where he waits around by the cash register for a half hour not buying anything until Buffy and Willow trips by. Snatching Willow from the shadows, he explains that he's in town to protect Buffy from an unknown evil, not by warning her or doing anything so much as awkwardly talking to her friends and jealously watching her flirt with her TA. But the next night, while chilling out near the home of UCSD's Dean of Anthropology, Angel again runs into Willow this time with Xander and Anya in tow. He explains again how he's in town to protect Buffy, but without actually being in the same room as her. Putting their heads together, Angel, Willow, Anya, and Xander figure out that Buffy is under attack right now. Angel realizes that the time for watching has passed. It is time for action, so he does the only thing he can do. He helps his teenage friends to steal a bicycle and then calls Giles to explain to him that the arrows flying through his windows mean that he is in danger. But he doesn't just do that. He also finds the ghost of a Native American man being beaten with shovels and breaks his ghost neck. His work in Sunnydale complete, Angel returns to Los Angeles. The end. Uh, brilliant summary as usual. <laughs> <laughs> bravo, bravo. Oh my gosh, really, really nailed it. Uh, let's move on to Great Lines. Great Lines. John, why don't you go first? Buffy describes uh, Thanksgiving as a sham with yams. It's a yam sham. You're not going to joke you want, rhyme your way out of this one, John. Yes. That was awesome. And I loved Xander at the very end. He's, he gives uh, Anya the bedroom eyes and he says, you know, I think my syphilis is clearing right up. <laughs> oh, man. I love that he's like rubbing her back when he says that. Yeah. It's so gross. <laughs> Uh, good choices. Good choices. She has such a dry sensibility. She doesn't even know that's a joke, really, which is fantastic. <laughs> Uh, Mike, why don't you go next? So I just love the, you know, the ladies watching Xander digging. And so it's Buffy saying, there he is. And then Anya, ooh, look at him. Willow says, very diggy. <laughs> Such a fun punchline. And then another one, um, this is this is kind of, we'll get into this in the episode, I'm sure, from, but from Buffy. Will, isn't there anything in there about how to stop a Native American spirit guy? Some nice non-judgmental way to, you know, kill him? Whole episode in uh, one line. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> There's a lot of like, um, really great, like quick back and forth and multiple people talking at the same time this episode. Like this is an episode that's kind of a struggle, but the dialogue writing is like top notch. Yeah. Uh, so that's what makes this episode bearable. Uh, um, so this is, I'm a little bit paraphrasing here, but this is Anya on Thanksgiving. That's a shame. I love a ritual sacrifice. 
To commemorate a past event, you kill and eat an animal. It's a ritual sacrifice with pie. Um, and then, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, John, why don't you quote Giles on this, and I'll do Buffy. Sarcasm accomplishes nothing, Giles. Sort of an end in itself. Uh, thank you. And uh, I really <laughs> like this, this one, um, which I actually didn't do at first because I thought I was like sure Travis was going to choose this one. <laughs> but then when you didn't, I added it. <laughs> I can still surprise you. I like my evil like I like my men. Evil. <laughs> the coroner's office said she was missing an ear. So I'm thinking maybe we're looking for a witch. There's some great spells that work much better with an ear in the mix. <laughs> Such a weird line. It, it made me laugh out loud. And That's then, a really great hobby you got there, Will. Yeah. Oh, there you go. And then uh, when Willow sees Angel and he like surprises her and he puts his hand over her mouth. But then, then, she, then she just says, when he takes off, she's like, what's up? <laughs> no, like, I'm just like, oh, what's up? Like, <laughs> yeah. I laughed out loud when I saw that too. I was like, oh man. I always love any uh, Willow Angel scene. Willow Angel banter is so yeah. They're such a good combo because they're like exact opposites of each other. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to the kill count. The kill count. Uh, one vampire died uh, at the beginning, three humans, um, seven spirits get uh, finished off, uh, and Xander has two job losses, uh, or at least two jobs, uh, one seen and one mentioned. So that's the full-on kill counts. We've had enough of the appetizers, let's move on to the main course. It's Weird Noticings and Trivia. Weird Noticings. Johnny. Okay. Um, I, so in the scene where at the beginning we're watching, uh, we're watching Xander digging with his, uh, his uh, construction uh, outfit on. He's got his hard hat and uh, Buffy has a little dig at him and says he looks village people-y. But Buffy's wearing a cowboy outfit. She's wearing like a cowboy hat. So I feel like that's a little bit glass houses, Buffy. You, you can't go around calling somebody village people when you're wearing a cowboy hat. I don't think anyone in this scene has any room to attack other people's outfits. Um, but yeah, also like Buffy's wearing a cowboy hat while like they're arguing about Native Americans. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> It's a, it's, uh, there's some discussion, uh, some of the things I was reading about this episode about how this, that, that's a, a very intentional thematic thing that Buffy's wearing not only a cowboy hat, but she's wearing a black a black hat. hat. Yeah. Yeah. She's usually a white hat, right? Yeah. I also want to point out Anya's pants uh, in this scene. There's a lot going on in those pants. They are complicated, lots of patterns, um, very 90s. Those have to I, be homemade. There's just no way. That's not even, <laughs> no I one's doing that. So. She's, she can only, she can only, she's only good with revenge. She, well, I guess we don't know she can't sew. But it's also like, it's color coordinated to her vest. That's yeah. a lot of different fabrics. Yeah. It's such a like weird outfit. It's so cool. <laughs> so good job on you. It's such great hobo chic. <laughs> yeah. It's total crusty punk over there. Uh, John. Uh, so yeah, in the same scene, Xander is in his construction worker outfit, and you know the lady starts doing the ceremonial opening with the the ceremonial golden shovel, shovel or whatever, and they're like, 
uh, oh, that's just the ceremony. That's not real construction. But then Xander's actual construction is also just digging with a shovel. Is he going to like dig the entire foundation for this building with a shovel? Also, <laughs> nothing is like marked off or anything. Yeah. <laughs> like nobody told Xander what to do. They just handed him a shovel and he's like, I guess I shovel. Maybe this so is like hazing for your first day as a construction worker where they just yeah. give you a shovel and oh, man, yeah. tell totally. you later. Good job working on that hole for an hour. Now let's see this like mechanical scooper do it in like one scoop. <laughs> I don't feel like it makes sense to follow the ceremony with immediately getting started with shoveling. Like, <laughs> but that's, I mean, you know, I've never been to one of these digging ceremonies. Apparently it's all the rage on the college campuses. <laughs> the, the best part is, you know, the ceremonial, like they always do like one or two shovels for a ceremony, like as a ceremonial to shovel. But Xander did one or two shovels and fell in a giant hole. And I feel it's like that lady had a really high risk of just falling down into that mission. It just seems, it, was, it seems as if the ground was so unstable, just walking on it would have like. Yeah, you would definitely, like when he falls through, you see it's like just wood planks. Like yeah. you would notice if you're walking through like 200 year old, walking on 200 year old yeah. planks, right? But I feel like you could dig anywhere in Sunnydale and find yeah. something like yeah. a sarcophagus or like. I, and I, like if I was Xander, I would just be terrified like you fell into like a vamp nest because he knows what's down there, right? That's immediately what I assumed when he fell down was that, oh. you know, there were going to be vampires or something down there. But then you surprised. Spanish they, mission. They make this like vague um, uh, like concern. Willow says, makes you wonder what else is buried under Sunnydale. But they know there's a hellmouth buried under Sunnydale. <laughs> The ultimate thing buried, unless we're talking about like a, a portal to another dimension, but that's what the Hellmouth is, anyways. That's like that's like the granddaddy of all things buried. So it's like, yeah. what else? No, it's yeah. Asked about. It's funny for her them to get interested in this now, and it's like, yeah, that's been our life for like four years. It's like, <laughs> what's well, buried underground? Uh, I was just saying that. Uh, speaking of the Spanish mission um, in California, uh, when like any Native American artifacts are found at a construction site, like it enters like a, just a ton of red tape and then like um specific state assigned archaeologists get called in and get involved and like i i have a cartoonist friend whose daughter works on that and like part of the things they have to do is like because you can't really f like it shuts the whole construction down and they have to find a new site but then like you also can't photograph the artifacts because that's like offensive so like she gets called in to like draw the artifacts before they rebury them like so California's got some like really complicated stuff that it does with these sites. Um, I don't know if it counts for Spanish missions because that wouldn't, I don't know. But anyway, I was just thinking about that because I think that's really interesting to think about like, you can't take a photograph of it, so somebody has to draw it. That Why can't you take a photograph? What's the uh, I think it just, it, it, it's, I don't know the reasoning. I think it offends the, the Native Americans. Like it's part of the agreement they have with them or something. I don't know. Uh, John, you got the next little noticing here. Uh, just that, um, so Willow and, Buff, Willow and Buffy have a blender in the dorm room. That's all. In their <laughs> yep. dorm room is a blender, which is fine. I'm sure they make smoothies, but it's delicious. Yep. That's, they, don't uh, have, they don't have a hairbrush, but Buffy's <laughs> looking for it. Do they have a microwave? They have a toaster oven if you look in the bottom left. Didn't they have they a microwave? Because we heard a ding last in some episodes ago, right? Uh, yeah, that wasn't <laughs> nothing about that triggered anything for me uh, when I saw that. This is uh, this is a Landis only. I've just you know I've I've ever since I've 
got into the uh, the boombox. You know, I'm really into their appliances. The oh, do you think the blender comes from hell also? It's just, I, it, you know, anything's possible. I can't wait for them to use it so you can critique which buttons they press. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely not, yeah. That's a traffic sound, mix. but she clearly hits mincer. I uh, mean, a blender is one of those wonderful things like pillowcases that didn't really enter my life until I um, had a had a woman in it. You didn't put <laughs> cases on your pillows? No, I mean, I did, but, you know. Uh, all right, uh, Mike, I think you got a big question here. But why doesn't Willow like Anya? I like Anya. There's like a little bit of a rivalry or uh, sexual rivalry. frustration. Is it root sexual rivalry? Yeah, it's resi- I think it's residual Xander crush. I don't think it's much to it. Because Willow wants so? to not invite Anya to Thanksgiving or to like, you know, a get together with friends. Anya's kind of tough to be around sometimes. <laughs> yeah, she's also <laughs> weird. I think that's part of it too. Yeah, she's just difficult. Um, I don't know her well yeah. enough. I think it is maybe weird when you spend like all of high school and college fighting monsters and then your friend starts dating one. You're like, is this something we're okay with? Uh, John, you got another, uh, <laughs> this is not about a dorm room. This is about Xander's room. So yeah, Xander's basement room, which is supposed to be really schlubby. He has this amazing like chaise lounge recliner thing that is a beautiful orange piece of mid-century furniture in his really schlubby basement uh, dwelling. And I feel like if that were in like a boutique furniture store, that'd easily be like a $1,500, $2,000 piece. Wow. Maybe I don't know anything about furniture. Things. I'm just guessing. Okay, that sounded like you knew what you were talking about. <laughs> Look at it, though. It, that is nice. Maybe he stole it from his drunk dad. Maybe. I mean, I feel like it's one of those things that, like, yeah, it, they, you know, they don't really, they just think it's an old thing. They don't realize how cool it is and how. It's funny you notice that because in that same shot, I was trying to stare at the comics and try to figure out what they were, but I, I couldn't. We all bring our own lens to it, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> I was just looking at his body. <laughs> As a doctor. Uh, Mike? Yeah, so there's this scene where Riley gets called a mama's boy by the other crew in the initiative. By Forrest. Okay, thank you. For, for By Forrest. And uh, they're all wearing face paint and like <laughs> dressed in military fatigues, hunting down, you know, 17, which is Spike. And like, uh, it's weird for this, like, these, it feels like a bunch of brothers, right? Like, or, or buddies, uh, give him a hard time. But like, following older orders is not like a bad thing in a military situation. Like they all should be following orders, but because Riley wants to follow the orders the most, he's the mama's boy. And like, they're all excited about going home for Thanksgiving. Like this is just a weird scene of really immature military types. And like, this is, this is an only in Buffy kind of situation where they get to both be immature and then also be in the military. I feel like other depictions of a military that are fighting supernaturals just kind of cast them all into like the tough guy direction, right? Versus this like kind of cute harassment that they're giving Riley. Anyway, this scene felt super weird. And yeah. uh, well, plus they have like really unreasonable faith in their camouflage. <laughs> that, <laughs> yes, thank you. That face paint is such garbage. Like. I guess they're, they're just like, okay, now you know who the initiative is, so we can't put them in masks anymore because conf- this whole dialogue scene would be so confusing if they're wearing masks. They're, they're already getting like, paid. Yeah, they're, they're, they're getting paid extra because they've been in a couple episodes. And they're like, there's no way we're going to keep paying them extra if we're going to hide their face, you know? So, like, they're, they're, yeah, this face paint that, like, 
doesn't hide Riley's distinctive hair. Like, <laughs> uh, I hate that scene so much because it looks like garbage. It does look, it looks really bad. I mean, I just imagine these guys are like camp counselors, you know, trying to like find a kid that disappeared or something like that, but don't really give a shit. Like, <laughs> There's no way. I mean, this paramilitary organization is run by children. <laughs> and their budget is so outsized. <laughs> yeah, and mom. So that goes, so we go from a scene we all hate to a scene that <laughs> I think is lovely, which is the Willow and Angel scene. Um, and like, I don't know, just the whole thing where she's covering the math and he's like, you're evil, you're evil. And like the weird pointing out, like Willow, when Willow starts getting into her own issues, and it points out that like both Willow and Buffy have boyfriends who left town for their own good, for like the you know, like how often does this happen in real life? But it's happened to both of these guys. That's a great observation. Yeah, I would love to discuss that more later. That's super weird. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a TV relationship problem because they got to get off the show. So. Yeah. But they could still come back for guest story for guest arcs. So Xander is still holding out the girlfriend card. Like when he's apparently sick and dying, he mentions that Anya might be his girlfriend and she gets so excited. And the fact that this is like not clearly <laughs> stated yet. Anyway, I Xander's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> well, like back in Beer Bad, which is the last episode I've listened to, like Anya's not even in that one, and he's, like, hitting on college girls, right? But they seem very relationship-y now, yeah. She's, like, taking care of him, and he's sick. Like, that's that's a girlfriend at that point. She has a hilarious, like, idea of how to take care of someone. It's, like, strip them completely naked. I was like, nobody is concerned. Like, Xander mentions you might get sick, but, like, nobody yeah. is personally concerned about getting sick from him. Like... You know, like uh, uh, Anya has the like, we'll die together thing. But then they bring him to the house, to Giles's apartment. And nobody's like, maybe you should go back home. So we don't <laughs> all yeah. And, and, and no one's like thrilled that it's a that it's a, a supernatural sickness. You know, I mean, like this could easily have just been like a regular communicable disease. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, it's just like. It's, no proper quarantine. Yeah. The only, one, the only one to talk about quarantine are those are those uh, beefcakes from the initiative. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So silly. Yeah, they're not really ready to deal with disease of any kind. Thankfully, the show doesn't ask them to. Doesn't have to. Yeah. Uh, John. Oh, uh, so Spike is uh, later in the episode. He's got his brain chip in, and he he's shut out of vampire culture and of drinking blood. And to uh, to illustrate this, he wraps himself in a torn blanket and throws himself about town. And I just, I understand the characterization accomplished by the torn up blanket, but what practical purpose, especially given this is Southern California, what practical purpose does the torn up blanket serve? Uh, A, it's hilarious. Um, I mean, we'll talk about this later, I guess, but he uses it to cover himself up from uh, the sun, right? Right, but he's doing it at night also. (laughs) I know, but he's, it's so good because he didn't lose his leather jacket. Like, he's wrapping it over the jacket. <laughs> I guess, like, a vampire who doesn't drink, like, starts to get, like, colder than body temperature. Or, like, they start to feel the cold. I don't know. I can't believe Spike could even go to their house and, like, act like he might be invited in to be fed. <laughs> 
but also that 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 blanket had all kinds of holes in it. It was like, <laughs> like it was like protect me from the sun. I know this blanket with thirty five giant holes in it. Well, he probably tried to steal a better blanket, and the bums beat him up, and this was like all he could grab for them. Get a poncho. Get a tarp. I love, I love the scene of him looking longingly at the vampires eating that guy. That's. So- so that weird. scene is really weird too. I was gonna bring that it's up because like, they, like they're grabbing of like amateur vampire's head and shoving it into somebody's neck to teach him how to vampire. Is that what's happening? Yes. Yeah. It's really weird. You're my baby vampire. <laughs> Stuck on this arm. Not sure why Spike gets the B story in this episode. <laughs> Except there's an image in someone's mind of him being at a Thanksgiving dinner. But lordy, lordy, does that not need to happen or make sense? (laughs) And like the getting of him there is so needlessly complicated. Before he gets there, he needs to see Harmony. Oh, he does. And I'm so delighted that Harmony fed, like, like fended off this would-be abuser. I mean... Spike just goes right back into his old role when he's there, and you're like, "Ah, oh, damn! Please don't! I don't want I don't want Harmony to be abused." And then <laughs> she thankfully pulls the stake, and he takes off. Yeah, man, hidden in the bed. I was so anxious when that scene started. I like in the the first time Buffy fights the Shumash warrior that she like literally rings his bell. She smashes his head against the bell. I was like, "Lol." And in Buffy's Skywatch this week, uh, it's visible when um, Buffy opens the door for Xander and Anya. Uh, and I don't know if it's maybe just the lighting or they just put it on for that one scene because she's wearing the same shirt for like a long period of the episode. But I only really saw it that one time. When Xander steps uh, like steps into word trouble with Anya uh, with his unthought out, you don't reason with venge- de- vengeance demons, you kill them. Like, I don't know. That's such comedy gold to me because... First of all, the the scene is written really well. There's there's like three conversations happening, um, but I love like everybody else in the show feels like the need for like repentance for their evil, and like Anya doesn't feel that at all. She's just like she is not repentant about being a vengeance demon. It makes her just a nice refreshing change from like Oz and Angel, and they're like, but I'm a monster. Uh, all right, I'm gonna keep talking. Do it. I fucking hate the look of the Shumash warriors like I wish that the mo- the, sh- the episode made them look like zombies or ghosts or something like they look like they're there to like like you're taking a tour of this mission and they're like let us show you like like they <laughs> I don't know I wish they uh, at least make their clothes rotten or something like they're the worst looking like monster I think the show does With <laughs> they're maybe just so afraid to like be offensive that they like make their costumes all clean and everything like i just wish you made him a zombie or something i mean for all the role they play in the episode they might as well just be monsters yeah yeah Yeah, it's like they stepped out of the diorama yeah thank you yeah you know it had been so long since i watched this episode i was certain that it was going to be anya that was going to spill the beans the angels back in town oh yeah (laughs) she wasn't i was like oh that's a nice surprise you know i was like it's going to be her Instead, it's all syphilis. Xander. Uh, Mike? Yeah, so when the Chumash warriors, uh, I guess the lead warrior, gets uh, his weapons back from the museum by smashing a display case, that made me laugh. Like, because that's, of course, the weapons that you want are the ones that are on display. And, like, I'm sure they're period appropriate. 
just the there is something hilarious and off about that form of cultural reappropriation, which is like, like smashing and taking weapons then go kill people. Uh, I, I know there's a lot going on in that move, and I, I think we will discuss how they did uh, as far as like the portrayal of uh, Native Americans and white guilt, et cetera. But man, that that was so funny. Um, I like in the final fight when the guy turns into a bear. Uh, and it's very clear when there's shots of like a real bear, mm-hmm. and it's either like video superimposed, or I think they brought a real bear in at some point. But then, like, the close-up shots with the actor and this, like, really bad-looking fake bear. Uh, I, I enjoyed those, that fight scene. Um, and also, that that's, like, all Angel came to Sunnydale to do was to, like, throw something at one spirit guy. Like, Buffy could have taken that. That was such yeah. a fucking, use, fucking useless angel. Why is Angel in this episode? Because Doyle had a vision that Buffy was in trouble. But that could have been applied to any Buffy episode. Like, literally any <laughs> other episode. This is not a particularly threatening monster. Yeah. Uh, we got two shows. Angel, <laughs> Buffy. Gotta get the word out about this show. I think they purposely do it to be, like, the purpose is, like, let's do a crossover episode, but yeah. the humor will be, like, they don't actually talk, right? But, yeah, it's the wrong episode to do it in, because this is, like, a lame threat. Like, so lame. Do it back do it like two episodes later for hush you know uh well i will say that the angel episode that buffy appears on is a dynamite episode of angel and then this episode of buffy with angel on it is weird and is not (laughs) so spectacular well this episode comes before the one where buffy shows up on angel it's the next right right? yeah because she because she finds out angel was here at the end, so she goes to LA to yell at him. Buffy, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Angel, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's all you gotta remember, folks. <laughs> all right, uh, so that's it for our weird noticings and trivia. Let's move on to questions for the group. Questions for the group. Well, this is the perfect question to get us started. Why is Angel in secret for the entire episode? We discussed the one reason, which is had a vision, but why does he have to be in the background a secret? I mean, his stated reason is it's going to be so hard for Buffy to reckon because he knows he's he's broken her heart so badly because he has this like inflated sense of his own importance in her life. He doesn't want to break her heart by disappearing again. It's such classic like superhero dick stuff like like i just could never tell my girlfriend my secret identity she's always just going to be upset with me about missing things because i could never reveal the truth because it would put her in danger like yeah it's very frustrating um and everybody like maintains the lie for him that is you know that he talks to giles maintains it willow um i guess anya to some extent i do really like that uh uh that other quote where Oh, I saw him too. That's not terribly stealthy of him. Yeah, I think he's losing his edge. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at least Giles gives Angel shit about it. He says, you know, this isn't what Buffy would want. And Angel's like, whatever, I know what she needs more than she knows herself, basically, like typical dude shit. And they leave it at that. But like, I I, I like like that Giles points out that it's dumb. Yeah. I feel like if an ex showed up in Portland 
and then uh you know talked to everybody in town but said like don't you know make sure that you know michael doesn't see me but like i was talking to everybody else that would be so suspicious and weird <laughs> wtf are you up to i think what I think, Go ahead, sorry. I think willow and everyone else is kind of just terrified of buffy and angel being in another relationship where he turns evil <laughs> and sucks the world in hell i think they just they want him to go away like they're done with angel like yeah this makes him look shady they know this is like a bad look on him but they're totally willing to let him dig his own grave. That's but, true. You know, that's it. Yeah. What do you think about like it? That, that like Angel really never became friends with anybody other than Buffy. Like nobody is like, oh, I miss Angel. Remember the time Angel said that funny thing? Like everybody is just like, I'm, I feel I'm like Xander. I feel like, I feel like Xander is a different situation because Xander's life has been saved by Angel. Like I think twice. So like, I feel like Xander at least should acknowledge him and not feel like he's a, not act like he's a creep, but. You're right. He's basically only friends with Buffy. Like, I don't think Giles ever really got over the whole murdered his girlfriend thing. And of course, Giles is like, Buffy's not helpless. Oh, wait, until there was that episode Helpless where I almost killed her. <laughs> it's all I could think Always got to bring that up. Always got to bring that well, up. Well, he literally said, I mean, Buffy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, 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 super, it's super silly. and It feels to me like such a superhero trope, and it's like something I'm so done with, right? Well, it's like a whole power thing, like a whole men, male power thing of I've got all the power, I know all the secrets, I'm blah, 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 blah. I'm, you know, it's not great. Yeah. Trev, I think you got the next Who question. has a ricer? Who has a ricer? I do not have a ricer. I don't. I used to have one. I got rid of it. Ooh. So that was like a two out of four. That's actually pretty good. I think it's one and a half. I think it's If you're going to make mashed potatoes, you kind of, you really got to. You know, there's, there's a lot of different implements to mash a potato than a ricer. I mean, you could use a rock if you want, but. <laughs> what if you used a oh, rock? All I right. like rock kitchen. Squeezy. I like how simple it is. Hold on. Let me, I'm going to check my cabinets to see if I have a ricer. Because I think at one point I thought I had a slow cook, but it was a ricer. Let me look. That's a big, that is a big mix of. All right. Well, he's doing that. What's your favorite Thanksgiving dish? I mean, I think we all look forward to the meat. No, 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 no. What's yours? What dish? Yams, candy, but you know, this, that. Not the I main course. Can I look forward to the main course? You can. Not, you can. I, don't say we, just say you. I like, I like that moist turkey. I like turkey with gravy. Okay. I like that moist turkey. Gravy's got blood. I like, so. I like dark, okay. dark meat turkey because that's the moistest turkey. All right. Two turkeys. Um, um, but no, no, I like uh, My mom used to make a really good mashed potatoes where she'd cook them in like um, a spice. So they'd be the spicy mashed potatoes. Uh, I used to really like that. It was like okay. the crab seasoning in it. Okay. John, what Your about family you? family would have spicy Thanksgiving. That sounds about right. Uh, I am partial to cranberries. I love cranberries. My mom also used to make a spicy uh, cranberry sauce. Uh, my favorite dish is the green bean casserole. Super crazy. That's, that's an interesting choice. Oh, man. It's so, it's so basic. It's amazing. Literally created by the Campbell Soup Company. Yeah, it was created by a, a recipe contest or something in the 1950s. Totally artificial and insane, but delicious. All right, that was a good question, Trav. Thank you, uh, Mike. Yeah, so Thanksgiving is a ritual sacrifice with pie. Are there any other understated animal sacrifice holidays that we should uh, be talking about on Buffy or should talk about? 
Uh, well, every Easter, I try to sacrifice somebody in the Wicker Man so that my crops will grow. <laughs> it's like Easter. Isn't Easter lamb? Thanksgiving's turkey. Uh, Christmas is goose or geese you, and ham. Do you have the bees, Dennis? <laughs> It'll bring my bees back. <laughs> oh, that's great. That was a good answer, Dennis. We should totally get the Wicker Man Easter thing happening. That's amazing. That should be a holiday. It is if you come to the Summer Isle. Uh, move on to this next one here. Um, so this is uh, one of those Native American spirit episodes. Uh, but if Native American spirits were to take revenge on the U.S. today, in real life, in real life obviously in real life, uh, what do you think they would do? Who would their targets be? Can I preempt this question for an idea? Sure. Because this is a very much white guilt question because we assume that someone would act just like us, right? A different culture would take revenge just like how, because I think the underlying theme is if this all happened to the white people, they would be, they would, they would enact like massacre, you know, com- complete genocide upon whoever did this to them. I really don't think, I mean, that's the whole problem here is because this episode is written by white people who were, who put, this is what Native Americans would do to those, to the people who, um, to, who wipes them out. But I'm not convinced that that's what they would do. Like that, that, that's a really, really negative um, impression of what they, that they would assume, what we would assume they would do to us. Cause I'm not convinced they would do enact this horrible revenge. That's a good answer, Trev. Yeah, I like yeah, that, that too. That, that's the big problem: is that this this animosity, this 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 that that this these people, no, no. If they were given the chance, they would wipe us out, uh, which is very much a justification for what happened. Yeah, I was. That's yeah. I was going to try to say something about like the North Dakota pipeline and be like, what if like, you know, because there's definitely been spills since that. And what if like all the spills got reversed and got like splatted back on the people building it and like. I don't know. That's the idea I came up with. That's a fun image. <laughs> Bill's going splat. Splatting back. Uh, uh, no, gosh, I really like uh, your POV on that, Travis, because, I mean, it's so true, right? Like that the white guilt that's operating under a Native American kind of horror story is that they take revenge on us and would do to us what we did to them. In a second, you give, you give these people any opportunity to reclaim those losses, they'll take it from you. That's so wrong. Well, I mean, I, I, wanted, I wanted to bring it up because in the episode, they kind of posit that, you know, they're going after a professor, right? So the professor is not only preserving their cultural history, but like preserving the, you know, white version of their cultural history and like has... And they're going to build on the the museum, right? This what I guess an anthropology museum, is cultural center yeah. on top of a burial. They called it like a friendship cultural center or something, right? I think that's a very like uh, specific kind of criticism of like how California deals with this stuff, because like, like I mean, I didn't go to elementary school here or anything, but I know everybody who did had to. There was like this Spanish mission project everybody had to do, where it's basically like you build a mission diorama some year in elementary school. And like, I think the way a lot of like every elementary school uh, student in California is taught 
about like what happened to the Native Americans here is very like clean. Let's focus on like the Spanish missions instead of like wiping people out kind of version. Uh, so it feels, yeah, it feels like that cultural center is not a good thing to me. When I was hearing like the, the verbiage around that about friendship and stuff like that's, oh, that's like romanticizing the past stuff going on. You're kind of echoing what, what Willow says in that scene. Oh, I'm very uh, channeling Wick- Willow's mom. I was still thinking they were going to make a joke about people becoming their moms in this episode. Um, you know, because when you get older, you know, you, you think you're not going to become like your parents, but you do in a lot of ways. A lot of people do in a lot of ways. And I was like, this is so going to be an episode because Buffy's like obsessed with like some, you know, family ritual, kind of like how her mom kind of, her was for, for a period of time, especially like the Christmas episode from season three. Her mom was kind of really over the top about that. Um, and here's Buffy being kind of super sentimental about Thanksgiving episode. Well, she's taken over the tradition, which is a big deal, like yeah, emotionally. A- and, and they're moving it to Giles's place, which he's confused about. Yeah. And, and Buffy's insistent that this is going to happen. And yeah, they'll also kill the monsters. Don't worry about it. Um, so I, I, I want to list the other kind of people that they're going after, right? So not only do the, the native spirits kill the professor, then they kill a priest or this guy that runs a church. I don't know the denomination of the church, but like it's super gruesome. You know, he's hung and then being stabbed and hung. So like they really want to get that guy. Uh, (laughs) And beyond that, beyond making Xander sick, which I guess is a throwback. I mean, I just think of like smallpox and other diseases that were spread. And I guess a throwback to that generally as well as syphilis, just every major disease that was passed to natives. Is that, is that it? Just the three? main targets and buff oh and buffy yeah and they want to kill buffy too but probably because she's trying to stop them <laughs> yeah because of his overhearing stuff as a wolf or a coyote whatever he was yeah how long would have how many other people would have you gotten to if buffy hadn't stopped him Can't well go. in I, I mean in the white guilt version right which is like i assume they'll do to us what we did to them would know? they make would they make their way all the way up to like the president yeah, I mean, I think they would try and wipe out everyone and then reclaim the territory for, you know, themselves. And then I assume uh, raise the buildings where students are living. I mean, I would, I would go after the more innocent people. I would, I would see more raping and pillaging happening. Um, and then also ghost horses. I'd like to see some ghost horses happening. Yeah, ghost horses. Um, Should have done that. I would like to see them appropriate proper more dangerous weapons i guess they did really well with bows and arrows and stuff but i'd like to see them like go to the break into the gun and knife you know spots and like get something a little bit more uh I mean, like where, uh, uh buffy and faith broke into get like um yeah exactly uh, that was sporting good store <laughs> i mean i get that there's like a symbolic importance of using the weapons in the museum but i guess when a ghost comes to attack you, it's mostly symbolic anyway. So for them to go to a <laughs> gun store wouldn't make sense. It's like, uh, this is, I'm a symbolic monster. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to use your weapons against you. Okay. I'm using my stuff. Uh, Mike, you got the next question here also. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so this is about Spike. The blanket thing really bothered me because if Spike can protect himself in the sun with a blanket, can't just vampires walk around with umbrellas and baseball caps. Like, why what, are they even worried about the sun? Oh man, 
Because uh, on Angel, in particular, Angel is so fast and loose with the sun. <laughs> Angel season one, I think, is the worst the Buffyverse ever gets with the sun. Like, his business, his office is, like, in front of two large windows, and they never have the shades all the way drawn. Uh, I mean, they, they call it out a little bit. So I just saw an episode of Angel where someone was like oh isn't the sun bad for you guys isn't it a big deal like a demon says this and angel's like ah it's not as bad as you heard right or whatever like they just <laughs> like after, just... after them getting caught on fire so many times uh there's also that uh the ghost dennis episode which you must have watched um it's the one before the bachelor party mm-hmm. okay uh like when buff or when cordelia opens the door like to her apartment angel is standing in the direct sunlight like there's not an explanation for how he got there you're just like what the fuck and then doyle is like oh let me like close the windows so the boss doesn't catch on fire but like (laughs) you're already out in the sun dude there's some there's some more there's some uh more great um sun issues in season one so mike you just stay tuned um there's like one episode that's just gonna drive you bananas like you're just gonna go like you're you're going to throw like a remote at the TV for one episode. It's pretty great. I mean, if he kept the ring of Amara and then destroyed a copy or like there's some, some so, reason why he's allowed to like be out in some a little bit, but yeah, remember, maybe. remember back in season two where, uh, Willie gets him locked in the, or no, Kendra locks him in that cage in the bar at Willie's bar. And he's not even exposed to direct sunlight. Just like, indirect sunlight and he's sick for like the whole rest of the episode for like the rest of the two-parter he's sick because of that like they have definitely spike and angel have definitely built up their sun immunities since then well spikes passed out in in broad daylight and started to catch on fire i mean they catch on fire but they don't burn very fast i mean it's not like you know tissue paper on fire it's like you know like a campfire that like a you know a cub scout would make you know it takes a while to get going i'm just saying this show is inconsistent about its sun use and the every character every vampire every main vampire gets tougher about the sun like secondary vampire is not as much but yeah but the inconsistencies drive me a little bit crazy because vampires are such rule monsters where it's like here's (laughs) all the rules i have to follow in order to survive and then like yeah but this one doesn't really matter like well then (laughs) then why (laughs) Anyway. I like your image, though, of, like, a vampire with just, like, an umbrella. I think or, that's a pretty it, common image, right? Like, that sounds like hat. an Edward Gorey like, <laughs> kind of image. I don't like the sun. I think a baseball hat's probably not enough. Well, what is it in Blade when uh, uh, the guy just wears a lot of SPF? SPF? Yes. Yeah, oh, Gorey I can't wait. himself with uh, sunscreen. Yeah. I can't wait till Angel's just wearing sunscreen. And it's like, oh, we didn't, we just burn easily. We didn't think about it. <laughs> uh, so I visited an old Spanish uh, mission in old San Diego last week. Uh, it was fun. And I also visited uh, the Whaley House, which is like San Diego's like most famous haunted house. So it was very thematic to this episode, what I ended up doing. Um, so I wanted to know, when was the last time you took a tour of a historic site? Well, gentlemen, I was just at uh, the Carillon Historical Park in Dayton, Ohio, where uh, I saw the uh, Wright Flyer 3 and uh, the historical printing press. 
And it was quite good. Is uh, the Red Flyer 3 Tokyo Drift? <laughs> <laughs> it's the first, like, practical airplane. It's not the first oh, original nice. one, but it's, like, the first one they built that was, like, you know, we can actually use this for something. There are a couple of bald eagles that live um, near yes, Carolina. there are. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys haven't been to Carolina Park since you were kids, next time you're in Dayton, Ohio, I highly recommend Carolina Park. It, they have stepped up their game in a major way. It's, it's actually cool. really cool. Yeah. And there's a brewery there. Mm-hmm. So, bonus. Hey, nice. Every, I'm for adults. Everything now has a brewery in it in Dayton. <laughs> the new thing about Dayton is every two blocks is a brewery. Did you go to Bill's Donuts? I did not go to Bill's Donuts. Yeah. That was not on my list. Yeah. <laughs> is there a brewery in there? Maybe. <laughs> uh, Mike's, Mike wins, probably. Yeah. Because oh. he, he was just in Berlin. Oh, yeah. So I was at a lot of places, but I'll just choose one. Uh, I was at the former SS headquarters building, uh, the Schutzstaffel, uh, who are, you know, they're the bad guys in World War II, the paramilitary organization that, uh, you know. Thanks for uh, giving us some historical context for that, Mike. (laughs) Well, there's some. They were the baddies. You know, the bad guys. (laughs) There's a lot of bad guys, but they were the bad guys that worked directly for the National Socialist Party. And so they worked on behalf of Adolf Hitler and uh, they're responsible for a lot of the uh, murders of Jews uh, during the war, uh, but also for a lot of political enemies that were killed during World War II. And uh, it's the, uh, the actual building was completely destroyed uh, that they operate out of. I mean, Berlin's basically a parking lot, you know, that was like, that's been gradually rebuilt and uh, they've preserved the site itself. And then there's a, uh, this very uh it's it's a building with like like a windowed building like in the middle of like kind of a just an open open air like kind of somewhat grassy area and then uh, inside is like basically a a walk through diorama that's completely free a walk through kind of a diorama style presentation of nazi horrors and uh the the crazy part is most of the ss uh got to reintegrate into German society and were never tried for war crimes after the war. And that's a, it's actually a good thing for society for people to be reintegrated versus having them all executed. But man, such a fucked up museum. It was, uh, it was cool. It was crazy to see all the people, the political enemies that were tried. Uh, It like, you know, you look at, they had this really crazy contrast where they showed the number of, you know, Nazis that were then like, um, brought to trial for their war crimes and then the amount of people the nazis brought to trial for being political enemies and like it's uh you know like thousands of people <laughs> were you know executed you know judged or executioner by national socialists and then on the, the the you know the hags um you know war crimes trials it's like you know a handful of people actually stood trial anyway uh anyway tons of sites in berlin all terrible all terrible the wonderful yeah. sounds intense i also <laughs> went to the uh, mission because it was free that's why i did it oh this was free also ss headquarters is free yeah to visit. i i love free sites that bum me out uh any- <laughs> all right uh oh we got more um john oh uh so this is a question for dr travis uh in the episode, uh, we've kind of figured out that Xander has syphilis and Anya says, oh, you have syphilis, so you'll be uh, blind and insane, but you won't die. Is that accurate? 
Um, you can you can get um, a heart condition from syphilis. So, and that that could theoretically kill you. Um, oftentimes, people can live for many years. Back in the old days, people could live for many years, and so then they would um, get some of these manifestations, such as going insane, as she says. So you're not going to die within the first year, five or, or or you know five years, you know, unless you were to get this really bad heart condition. But that's pretty rare for it to suddenly kill you. You're right. You could live. You could live for a long time if you had someone to feed you and gather your food and et cetera, et cetera. But you could live for a decent long time unless you had the specific heart problem. Right, I enough. suggest uh, to the audience that you not look up the Wikipedia article on syphilis because one of the symptoms is penis lesions, and there's a picture. Hmm. So awesome. uh, unless you're prepared for that, or uh, don't 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 look up that Wikipedia article. Speaking of penis lesions, uh, my question is, how do you think the meal tasted? <laughs> uh, it sounded like they had a lot, the, some good stuff going on. They're putting brandy in the yams. They've got like, they're trying to use fresh peas. Sounds yeah. like it might be pretty good. I think, I think there's a lot of, in the Buffy fandom, there's a lot of discussion about whether Buffy is a good cook or not. Because we know she doesn't know that lemonade needs sugar. Right. Um, but... She makes that uh, picnic for everybody at the beginning mm-hmm. of season three where she says, like, Martha Stewart doesn't know anything about fresh cut prosciutto. Yeah. So she's eating a lot of food. <laughs> we know she's eating a lot of food. Uh, but I feel like this is the first big meal she's cooked. And I wondered, how's the turkey? How does it all work? Yeah, turkey, make, baking a whole turkey is really not for amateurs, is it? It's no. you got to work your way up to that. And plus, like, she was distracted with the, like, whole raid and everything during right. prep time. Yeah, I wouldn't eat that turkey, probably. <laughs> Although that pie crust that she was making sounded delicious. I thought it tasted pretty good. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made fun of it, because they don't shy away from making fun of things that, you know, right? There's not, like, a slow burn. Like, they're not going to bring up this Thanksgiving meal in, like, two seasons. That's true. <laughs> or wait, maybe that's a prediction. Oh, yeah, there you go, Mike. Is someone going to bring up this Thanksgiving meal? And, and how will they say it went? Uh, so I think that's it for questions of the gr- for the group. Uh, we're going to move on to recommendations. Recommendations. I am going to recommend... Uh, Creep Show 2, specifically for the Old Chief Woodenhead sequence, um, which, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, I was thinking about what to do with, like, what to do with these recommendations, really, because, like, there's a lot of stuff you could do with Cowboys and Indians and stuff, um, so I kind of did a variety of stuff, so the Old Chief Woodenhead sequence um, is really odd, but it's a, actually a pretty creepy one, but it's like the white store owner who has the old wooden chief and then the like young Native American kids who like rob him and kill him. So then the wooden Indian kills the young Native American kids. It's like a weird, it's pretty weird. Like when you think about like, what is this? Is I don't think the story is trying to say anything particular, but uh, like <laughs> what goes down is pretty weird. Um, I'm also going to recommend the 1978 movie, The Manitou. Uh, which John and I have seen specifically because of Atomic Age Cinema. Uh, I've watched it since. That movie's amazing. (laughs) So the idea is this is like this woman is growing a tumor on her back that's actually like, uh, like what do you call him? Like a shaman, like an Indian shaman who's like going to take revenge on the white man. But first he has to like manifest as this giant tumor on her back. 
uh it's so we, weird yeah and like there's like a, there's like a portal to another dimension and like at some point she shoots lasers out of her nipples yes it's these are real wild. things that happen in the movie it's a wild movie <laughs> Uh, and the tumor, the body horror of just the tumor with, and it starts talking is so wild. <laughs> uh, yeah, good movie. So that's Fantastic. our recommendation. Um, I'm going to recommend uh, this new movie, Derelicts, which I saw at the Silver Scream Fest this year, uh, which is like um, a uh, home invasion movie where these like psychos with like very like uh, Manson family type visuals uh break into somebody a family's house on thanksgiving so it's a thanksgiving horror movie and then they end up holding him hostage and it's a really gross movie like don't watch this movie if you're easily grossed out like there's a teenage boy who gets his eye popped out through his own penis pump um so it's one of those type of movies uh <laughs> but i had a uh, dinner with the uh, filmmaker and some of the actors and they're very nice people like it's definitely the thing of like the grosser your horror movie is the like nicer you are as a person. I think that's my like uh, interpretation of these kind of things. Um, and I'm going to recommend two modern westerns that kind of take very opposite paths about uh, their portrayal of Native Americans. Uh, Bone Tomahawk, which was uh, from 2015, and it's Kurt Russell, and he's got the same mustache or mutton chops that he had in um, the Hateful Eight. I think Bone Tomahawk is a lot better than the Hateful Eight. Uh, but it's like, um, you know, like a kind of classic, like we got to go hunt these Indians and then it like slides into horror movie territory. Um, and it's got uh, Matthew Fox and Patrick Wilson in it also. And um, a few other people uh, who are really good. Um, so it's a good movie. It slides into horror. Um, and then I'm going to recommend from 2017 or 2018 uh, Hostels, which is a new Christian Bale western where he's like this old calvary man who spent his whole career like killing indians and then he has to like um go take a few to their reservation and it's like about him learning their humanity and stuff and it's got uh i think michelle williams in it but it's good and it's like a very like man learns that other men are humans like uh kind of movie and it's also brutal in a different way where you're just like fuck i would never want to live in the west like <laughs> in the old west like, there's just no easy life back then, right? Uh, so those are my recommendations. Why don't we do uh, predictions, and then we'll end with themes. Virgin Predictions. All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, not a lot as far as old predictions go, but we have... Uh, between in our wrap up for season three that Mike predicted that Xander will find a way to have a relationship with Anya. So I think this moment about the girlfriend thing is like, we're kind of like confirming that they have a relationship. The question in my mind is did Xander find a way to have a relationship with Anya? Cause it really seems to me more like Anya found a way to relate way to have a relationship with Xander. It seems more the other direction. Uh, what do you guys think? Is this a confirmed uh, prediction? What do you think? Um, well, let me ask Mike how he, when he did that prediction, what was he foreseeing? What did you think this was going to be like? Do you know when that prediction was made, John? This was the wrap up for season three. That Xander will find a way to have a relationship with Anya? Yep. Well, I, at the time, I didn't understand that Anya might go to college with them. It seemed like she was going to be gone from the show. 
So I thought there would be more finding on Xander's part. I think that's the find a way to be with her, even if she disappears. Uh, turns out it's much easier than that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she just shows up in his, <laughs> in his basement. Yeah, I mean, she just shows up and kind of pursues him, which is a little different than how I anticipated it going because it seemed like, you know, Xander was going to have a longer uh, road adventure and wouldn't be returning back to Sunnydale so soon. Um, I mean, this is like more or less like they're together, which was the point. I just, I think in the wording, I assumed it would take longer for that to happen or there'd be more, uh, more work on Xander's part as it is. He's like <laughs> deliberately trying to make Anya's uh, experience a little bit harder, like by being weird about defining the relationship, but he's a jerk. Yes. I think this is confirmed. Yeah, I'd give it because <laughs> they're in a relationship now. Like, or they're very close to being in a relationship now if they're not technically in one. Confirmed. All right, confirmed. <laughs> that's that's the only old predictions uh, that apply to this episode. Uh, new predictions, Mike. Sure, there will be a Thanksgiving episode in season five, and no more vampires will be killed by direct sunlight. Can't be. We got too far. <laughs> Vampires can't be killed in that way is what I've learned. Do you Sorry. predict any uh, new way to kill them that'll to make up for this, this way of disappearing? Nope. Just uh, as we've seen on the show, fewer vampires on the show overall is a great way to prevent vampires from being killed by sunlight. Also, current vampires can't be killed by sunlight. So uh, the show has decided that sun is not a major way to kill a vampire. And I would like the show to prove me wrong, but... <laughs> No more vampires killed by direct sunlight. All right, but uh, Wait, this season or predict Spike's hair will catch on fire again because I think it caught on fire like two episodes in a row. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's funny when it happens, but uh, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, Spike's hair might catch on fire again, but the the point is they're not going to kill a vampire with sunlight. Like they've created all these outs. Now, of course, I get like there's the surprise sun where you pull back a window and reveal a sun like yeah a vampire could be killed in that way but okay you love that surprise sun and uh okay so here we the, go in the episode some sun of list from angel okay so vampires can be killed by sun but only by surprise sun i don't know this doesn't make sense i mean they'll be killed <laughs> by a sun trap like aha sun uh but apparently they'll be able to wander around in sun Anyway, yeah. <laughs> you're the one making this prediction. <laughs> okay, so the prediction as I have it now is no more vampires will be killed by direct sunlight unless it is a trap. No, because it's always going to be a trap. That's not, like it's the classic vamp trap. Uh, I just want to point out that the show is not killing vampires with sunlight, and I want a prediction that will basically states that. So, uh, but I do think they will kill them with a the sun trap because that's such an easy way to kill off a vampire. Do you think the vampires will start to sparkle when they hit the sun? I mean, they could, they didn't kill spike with sun when they could have, they just had him burst into flames a little bit. And then he hopped down a manhole. Yeah. Like, I mean, something that's a traditional way to kill a vampire as a surprise is, is losing its power on this show. So, yeah, no more vampires will be killed by sunlight. Just period. Any uh, predictions about Spike based on this episode? 
Spike will, um, did Spike get an invitation into Giles' house or did they just drag him in? He had to have had an invitation to come in. But he had it was an invitation. Done off this is camera. It's off screen. Yeah. Okay. Also, you've, you've, you've totally not focused on this whole idea of the chip and being neutered and, you know, but there's some, right, there's some chip in his brain where he can't bite people. It's kind of like totally gotten lost in the, in the background shuffle. Oh, Spike is uh, going to get the chip removed this season, but he's not. And also, side point, when Spike gets the chip removed, he's not going to tell anybody. Mm. So it'll be a surprise. When it happens when he when it's you revealed, can trust it's a me. I'm a harmless puppy. Bitey bite bite. I like it. All right, let's move on to themes and deep stuff. Deep stuff. <clears throat> All right, I think we kind of just got the one this episode but it's a uh big, big one it's a can of worms let's pop it open and slurp on some worms john all right okay so i i feel like the way i read this episode and i did a little background research that supports this is this is basically joss whedon uh through jen espenson's writing but he apparently was very involved in the writing of this episode this is joss whedon soapboxing about white guilt that's what this episode is and the statement is made kind of crudely through Spike and maybe less crudely through Giles. But basically the statement is that uh, white guilt slows you down. It gets in the way, right? Uh, our characters are made ineffectual. Uh, the female characters especially are made ineffectual because they're worried about being the bad guys. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I don't know if my internet's no, cutting out. Okay. Right. No, we heard you. I don't know. No, we're just thinking okay. it over. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think Buffy and, and Willow specifically is, doesn't know what to do or how to stop the, like, the Native American tribe because of guilty feelings. Yeah. I, mean, I think, like, this- the line that bothered me the most, honestly, wasn't the spike line. It was when Giles is like, well, if they're in the historical books, then, like, you know, they're, Willow says something about, like, maybe we can bring these atrocities to light. And Giles is like, well, if they're in these historical books, then the atrocities have been brought to light. She's carrying, like, these old leather-bound yeah. editions. Single edition. Obviously, yeah. they all went to, like, Willow went to elementary and high school here in Sunnydale where all this happened and, like, doesn't know anything about it until after this. Like, obviously, that hasn't been brought to light. How that about the fact that I had to look it up to find out that Shumash is a real tribe? I mean, like, yeah. I don't know, right? I don't know anything about this. I, you know, and so... I think though that there, like, there, there is the seed of a good point, which is what's frustrating about it, right? There's a seed of a good point in there, which is that I think that, I mean, they're right. Like, and I think this is manifest in our culture more, maybe even more now than then, which is that uh, there, is a, there is a tendency, I think, among white liberals to focus on the wrong stuff or to focus on the minutia rather than what really ought to be the point sometimes, right? Like, you know, there's all this flustering about, should we say Indian, should we say Native American? And I think, Spike is right. Like you're talking about a history of genocide. What is your word choice in the face of that? That doesn't really mean a hell of a lot. That's, that's the start of a good point, right? Uh, what's not better than white guilt though, is to make up an Indian monster so that you can have the satisfaction of killing him. That's not better. 
Yeah. Like this episode invents this monster out of pure fantasy yeah. so that we can continue the genocide. Like, what is that? Yeah. Well, it also, really it's, <laughs> yeah, it's also a horror trope though, right? The Indian burial ground. And yeah. like this show has a lot of different horror uh, baggage that it wants to deal with, like including puppets, you know, and Native American <laughs> burial ground is just one of these kind of popular tropes that well, needs like to a, be i purposely good. didn't bring up poltergeist just because i feel like that movie doesn't actually like it it has a burial ground right but it doesn't like actually do anything with it it doesn't like bring up like and at the end of the day neither does this episode right yeah. right like this episode is so profoundly disinterested in the shumash or in any native american people like they don't care it's it is interesting only in in as much as it it motivates the discussion of white guilt and only in as much as we get to have a monster like beyond that they don't care which is why like I, I tried to look up to some get some clues to like uh, is the representation of the Shumash and their you know the, the the outfits and the artifacts is any of that authentic I don't think it matters at the end of the day yeah. I don't well, think just the episode like, gives a shit. <laughs> I mean the episode is excited about that kind of Western finale though right where like they're being attacked and like holed up in Giles place right like it just right. kind of it, it, it has it kind of ends in this Western kind of shootout kind of battle of course the bear morphing the crow morphing you know the that stuff is weird but you know it, it definitely does nothing to change the overall uh, commentary on or uh, stereotyping of native americans oh yeah like, that's a huge problem it kind of brings it tries to make like this is joss whedon which like makes like a little bit of a good point and like a ton of other like baggage yeah. we make a broad statement about him because i think we all know a lot more now that's like okay, this little bit's good, but then there's this whole, whole horrible thing that's packed along with it. But if it's like the racist de facto a stereotype, it's kind of untouched. That's this episode. It's like everything that has been said for 150, 200 years, not a whole lot there has changed. We're just reinforcing negative stereotypes. Um, I mean, it's even funnier because everyone on this episode was white. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's so on the nose. It's and just it's, how undiverse this cast is. <laughs> when you're saying that, color, and he, they were the initiative. Yeah. That was the only person of color, and they were in the initiative. And he was the guy who was being a smart aleck. I think it would be even worse, though, like, just to bring in, like, oh, Buffy made this friend who's, like, a Native American, and, like, bring that character in for, like, one episode, and then, like, have them never show up again would have been, like, thousand times worse isn't it a bit weird that the male characters like giles and spike were the one were the ones who had who, who seemed that they were they were right right and, and the then the differing opinion by willow and buffy but then really, didn't really want to kill the native the native american you know because all of all of their people were already killed uh so let's not repeat that mistake that was kind of the wrong mentality somehow yeah, the episode's super soapboxy. You don't come away with this with a sense that, like, there's even two philosophies. You come away with it as in, like, Willow was worried about this thing that just stopped her from effectively dealing with the problem. Buffy was worried about a thing that stopped her from effectively dealing with the problem. And at the end of the, like, I was reading online, somebody pointed out. The white out, men at the end of the day were the right ones. Well, right. Not only that, but, like, literally this episode's message is the only good Indian is a dead Indian. Like, that's yeah. literally the episode's message. Yeah. Like, that's what happens in the end. Like, yeah, it's awful. It, it, yeah. 
it's, it's pretty awful. It's terrible. And, and the, who, and who, I mean, the, the most bizarro characters are the right ones. Giles, who clearly has no moral authority and Spike, you know, a vampire with no soul and a, and a, and a, and a trained killer. But to, to, to bring it back where it, to where I think it, I feel like it works. Like I have this, like a lot of like sympathy for, uh, or just like gut level feeling for like Xander when he's sitting there on the bed and He's like just figuring out what's going on around him. And he has this sense of like waking up to the history that's going on, right? And mm-hmm. he's, he says, uh, I, I'm just some guy. He just like, this guy comes out of the woodwork and infects the first guy. And I feel like when you are, uh, a, you know, a white person in America and you f- learn two inches of history, it feels like that, right? It feels like sure. I'm, I'm, this isn't me. I'm not connected with this. This is, I'm anonymous. This has nothing to do with me. Uh, I, I feel like that's, that part of it feels very real. That, that Xander sort of voice feels very real. Um, and again, and then the will of reaction to it of the like the knee jerk sort of liberal let, let's hem and haw about our language also feels very real. And that feels like a, like a valid critique, but go somewhere with it, you know, do something with it. Yeah, yeah, do, yeah. Um, sorry, this belongs in prediction. I mean, this belongs in recommendations, but I just thought of a new movie that I, that it's a really decent, like it's uh, called Rhymes for Young Ghouls. I'll just read the Wikipedia entry. So it's a 2013 Canadian drama film, uh, feature film debut of writer, director Jeff Barnaby, set in 1976 on an Indian reserve in the context of the residential school system. Although it tells the fictional story of a teenager named uh, Ayla, and her plot for revenge, it's based on the historical abuses of the First Nations people for government agents, including a large number of reported cases of the mental and uh, physical abuse of residential school children. Uh, so it, it's a really good movie. I just, I saw it recently and forgotten about it. It should have been in Rex, but I, but um, the title and the poster make it look like a horror movie, but it's more of just a revenge movie about like young Native American uh, kids. Um, so anyway, sorry. But you guys is talking about that reminded me of that. Uh, so, I don't but really... I, I think that, you know, it's a big cultural identity problem in America, in the United States, where we don't and have... Canada. I mean, and... so just because this, I just because uh, Rams for Young Ghouls is Canadian, but Canada fucked up the Native Americans also. It wasn't just us. <laughs> not to put the blood, not that I hate Spaniards. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's, you know, we haven't fully reckoned with it as a people, you know, even hundreds of years later, where we still get to hold some pretty racist views as Americans, where we don't, we don't get to, we don't have to deal with this, right? Because like, you know, you win. So you, you know, and there's a, this reservation system that's been created. And so there's a, there's some sense that the culture survive, these cultures survive. But and like, we have some random names of cities and you know, and different geographical features, but like the stories and the cultural histories are like completely invisible to, from, from, for most of us. Like, yeah, of course, it's just the Indian bad guy of the week. And yeah, the, the really, you know, I, I like how Travis is framing this, right? Where it's like the, the women of the show are guilt, feel guilty and the men who are right have less guilt. And like, this is just how it, it works. So this is what the winners do. You know, this is what they would do. Yeah, this episode is much more problematic on discussing it than I sensed when watching it. I mean, I, I was, I was more caught up in the, just the, 
this felt like a known path than like Buffy's unique take. And I think the way that you guys think the show should be smarter than it is. And to me, it felt like, oh, this is a well-trodden path versus, oh, they should have done X or like, why did they do that? You know, what, what it says about, you know, Joss Whedon and the writing team, you know? And I liked this episode, not because the villain, I mean, the, the bad guy was kind of horrible. And as we said, not representative of what I think really should be said on the subject. The only reason I liked this episode was really kind of the interplay between the characters unrelated to the big bad. So what I like about it is I'm talking about, um, you know, them getting older, wanting to have their own, um, their own Thanksgiving, um, talking, you know, being at Giles's and all kind of arguing with each other, kind of like a big family, cracking jokes, Anya's being kind of crazy. That's what I like about it. I don't like the, the big, big bad in this episode at all. Yeah, it's a huge I agree. Race, which is crazy. Like the, the dialogue writing is really top notch. This episode, like the, yes, the, the dialogue, have like multiple conversations running at the same time. Like, is to me an evidence of a really skilled writer. Uh, you know, but and that's yeah. down. That's down to Espenson. She she's so good at that, like, the like the back and forth stuff. I feel like. Yeah, like that that whole stick about like I of course I feel guilty and stuff, and then also being like all right, a quarter cup of brandy and let it simmer, like. Yeah, great delivery by Buffy. You know, it's a really great, good job, Sarah Michelle Geller. All right. Well, then we're gonna end this episode. So long, farewell. I'll see you in hell. And you can, of course, find us on the internets, all over the internets. Go to Buffy Virgin, rate us, and thank you for rating us and subscribing. And uh, you can buy my book, The Land of Many Monsters and Many More Monster Tales, and. Coming in October, you can buy the Famous Monsters Annual, and my short story, Whisper in the Woods, will be in that, preceded quickly by the full story next year, early 2019. So check that out, guys. All right. We'll see you in hell. Bye. Woo!